welcome to 172. This is a podcast where we interview 172 inspiring people of color to commemorate the 172 reported black lives lost to police brutality. Through these interviews, we explore the themes of systemic racism and how it's embedded within our culture and society. But most importantly, how our interviewees overcame these adversities despite all the odds against them. These inspiring and touching stories truly ground the audience in the realities many American minorities encounter every single day. These same stories, though, uplift our audience. They remind the audience that despite all the narratives, all the stereotypes, despite the mechanisms of social norms squeezing them into an unnatural mold, human potential prevails. Their human potential reflects resilience. Their personal triumphs show how we can embody our own identities while accomplishing our aspirations. They truly reveal how anything is possible, even in a world that wants you to remain silent. This is 172. Today we're interviewing Sabrina Ali, a self-published author. Today we're interviewing Sabrina Ali, a self-published author from the Bay Area. She's also host of Moms Who Are Art podcast, and she's the founder of Lyrical Plight Press. Today, Sabrina and I are going to be discussing a little bit about what she's learned on her journey on becoming a self-published author, the wisdom that she's learned as being a mother, and also what she can offer us to become better in our own ways and how we can perpetuate that goodness to the world around us. Please welcome Sabrina Ali. This episode is in memory of Laquan McDonald. I'm from uh, the Bay Area, Berkeley, California, and um, I'm a writer. I consider myself a writer. That's how I identify, or one of the things I identify as. And I've been writing pretty much all of my life. I feel like I inherited the love of writing because my mother was a writer. Um, And my father also likes to write as well. So I feel like, Yeah, I feel very blessed to have been born into a creative family and to um, parents who kind of supported my vision and who really uh, helped nurture my creativity. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've been writing pretty much all my life. Um, Yeah, professionally, I would say about the last five years or so. So that's so amazing. I I love writing and I really look up to people like you who like take initiative in their own creative outlets. So what kind of topics and narratives do you like to discuss through your writing? Hmm. So right now, um, as of late, I've really been into inner child work. So a lot of my writing right now focuses on inner child healing and also um, what I feel is like a soul retrieval. So like retrieval of the soul and the inner child, which I feel are interconnected. So um, yeah, a lot of my writing right now focuses around my healing and I'm just now finding the courage to kind of put myself out there so that anyone who's going through the same can really um, identify and hopefully find some hope in my words and in my work definitely definitely and just kind of like throughout your upbringing were there any kind of obstacles that impeded you from attaining your aspirations 
yes <laughs> I feel like it was um it's kind of layered because I feel like I did um have a lot of childhood trauma that I had to work through um that was in the home but also outside of the home it was just um it was just I feel like a lack of representation I didn't really see uh women who looked like me who were just in positions of power per se but just in the in the um they didn't really have this space to kind of accept themselves like women who look like me were always portrayed a certain way but it wasn't like this loving it wasn't in a loving way it wasn't in a healthy way i didn't really see that a lot so i feel like the obstacles inside the home were um had to do with the trauma but also outside the home was just feeling kind of isolated and feeling like i wasn't seen or heard and women who look like me weren't supposed to like dream or weren't supposed to um believe in themselves yeah yeah, yeah. And it just kind of like seems as though you had this like multifaceted isolation that was either rooted in your racial identity or your own like aspirations there was something that was isolating you due to like these societal mm-hmm. standards how did you kind of yeah. what led you to embody like your own leadership to kind of like take initiative because it just seems as though you had to be your own leader in your own journey definitely so i would say um i would say that you're right i did feel very isolated in um my early adulthood years um but i feel like the catalyst for my growth or for like that change in my perception came when uh i gave birth to my daughter because you know she looked like me and when i looked at her i i i asked myself i was like who do i want to be who do i want her to see me as like who do i want her to look up to and i just kind of sat with myself and asked myself these questions and i knew um that my healing was not only for myself anymore it was for my daughter as well so i just began to um you know take that journey into healing and self acceptance and self love and just you know i i had to believe in myself i felt like i didn't have another option you know yeah yeah and <laughs> from like before you had your daughter and after you had your daughter mm-hmm. how do you think like your perspective changed on like the world and also yourself in your own life. Hmm. Um for the world after I had my daughter um it actually gave me a bit of hope for the world even though it sounds weird especially at the state of the world then. <clears throat> I just really saw my daughter and I saw this innocence and it made me recognize like that innocence is in each and every one of us and just it made me um recognize the innocence in myself and um i know i know the world is just like in this state of chaos right now but i do feel like there is this awakening that's happening and i feel like um just the lesson i got from my daughter was innocence and so i carry that with me and i'm able to see that in each and every person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I do feel feel like after I 
gave birth to my daughter, my heart became a little more tender. And so I was able to be more accepting for, to myself. And so I was able to be more accepting of others. I feel like before I had my daughter, my heart was just, it was so many walls. Um, I basically stopped believing in the world. Like everything that I saw was kind of um, weighing on me and I didn't see, I didn't see beauty in the world. I just saw just, I didn't, I didn't believe in the world. And so, yeah, just having my daughter just led me to really, um, it just restored something in me. Yeah. 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 And like with this newfound hope that you have now, what do you see as like essential to like implementing within like childhood upbringing or like within like the educational system since now you have that perspective to see like this is what was missing before or this is what we have to implement Mm -hmm. now for a better future Mm -hmm. yeah I just really um feel like everything begins with the self and um, not in a selfish way but just the love and understanding and hope and compassion that we want to see in the world we have to be able to see it in ourselves first Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's why I write and I feel like that's why the work I do is important because it really centers around um, confronting yourself and confronting your trauma and really being able to align yourself with something um, that's greater than you or align yourself with divine purpose because I feel, I feel like everybody has like this propensity, the same propensity for darkness and lightness and light within themselves. And it's just that, um, it's just about knowing that we have the choice to say who we want to be, to say like what we want to do. And we have the choice to do better in our lives. We don't have to like uphold these old beliefs and uphold this old system that is based on like fear and separation and division. Like, we have the choice to say no more, you know? Definitely. So, yeah, so I feel like that's where the healing is going to come from. Like, people, um, are, I feel like so many people look outside of themselves for a savior or someone to save them when we just have to do the inner work. And that's how we save the world is by saving ourselves. Because once we do the individual work, we can come to um, better the collective and do the collective work that's needed in the world. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like um, there's this like necessary uh, outlet for empathy in order to fix mm-hmm. a lot of what's going on right now, but we can't really develop this sense of empathy if we aren't really looking inward at ourselves and mm-hmm. fixing ourselves internally. And yeah. kind of like, right now with everything going on how are you trying to use your platform to educate those around you um especially with what's going on now i really am making sure that um i'm taking the time to tend to myself because the world right now feels so heavy and I want to make sure that I'm not reacting out of a place of fear or a place of hurt or anger. I want to honor my emotions and work through them. But I feel like if I'm to um, use my platform um, the way that I'm supposed to, or 
at the level that I'm supposed to I feel like I have to really um, sit with myself and work through those emotions so that I can deliver the message you know and be as transparent as I as I possibly can because it's very easy to get lost in everything that's going on Um, especially personally I've been feeling so heavy so I am taking the time I feel like to get my mind right and get my spirit right so that when I do um, when I do hear the message I feel like I'm supposed to share I'll be able to share it from a place of um, compassion and empathy like you said uh, instead of um, just the rage and the fear I don't want to perpetuate that so I definitely feel like it's uh, important to take time for yourself most definitely so that you're able yeah yeah and just kind of taking into consideration your entire journey from where you started to where you are now what has allowed you to overcome any like racial or like misogynistic barriers that kind of just blockaded mm-hmm. you from getting to where you are really um well i had to first i had to be able to like identify um the barriers themselves because I grew up in California and even though I love California I feel like um, the racism is not very um, what's the word I'm looking for it's not like very in your face like prevalent it's more like yeah it's more I mean it's prevalent but it's more like through microaggression and more through, yeah it's just it's just more subtle Mm -hmm. and so it's there and I feel like subtle racism is no less violent like it's not as physically violent but I feel like psychologically it's Mm -hmm. it's just it weighs on you but because it's not like in your face because it's so covert you're just like am I is this real am I tripping or you know Right. right and so it's I feel like racism was something that I internalized because it wasn't um so easy to spot it just like it was something that, um, like, I would be in these situations where, you know, people would be surprised surprised that I was smart or, um, I don't know, any specific, um, I don't have any really specific examples, mm-hmm. but I just know it was just more so the feeling, like, okay. And so I feel like it was, like, the internalization of these, like, microaggressions that kind of weighed on me the most. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I recognized that, I realized that um, that's kind of what racism is. It's just like, it's the internalization of it mm-hmm. that really just, um, that really like perpetuates it. Because you're like upholding these beliefs within yourselves without really uh, recognizing it. It's kind of like a subconscious thing. So once I recognized that, I, um, and once I brought awareness to that, I was like, okay, well, you know, you don't have to believe this. You know, you don't have to kind of think this way. Right. Like, and then kind of unpack it. So I had to do like a lot of unpacking surrounding um, just like the racial tension that I grew up with. It it just came down to me asking myself if I believed it, if I believed like that was my truth. And um, 
once I obviously said no like this is not what I believe in I was able to define my truth for myself and it wasn't like so much of like an exterior thing you know mm-hmm. and another thing I realized is that um people only treat you like how they treat themselves so it wasn't anything that was personal you know these were just like beliefs that they were upholding that you know may or may not have served them anymore but it was something that they were used to and I feel like if I did the inner work to heal that then what they thought and believed I just wouldn't take it personal because I knew who I was yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and I feel like a lot of like these the main root of the issue is that people aren't able to identify their own like conditioned like racial behaviors like I remember Mm -hmm. being in like eighth grade and we were reading To Kill a Mockingbird and a lot of people would say that like they would like kind of miss the point like they'd say that it was racist to mention that someone was black and I think like that's where like the issue lies is that people aren't able Mm -hmm. to appreciate diversity rather than just identify it like right like I don't know I've just seen a lot of posts recently saying that like we're all human and while that is a terrific idea to kind of embody it's important that we also recognize and acknowledge the diversity within us all and that it's okay Mm -hmm. to accept that diversity rather than neglecting it and Mm -hmm. kind of submitting everyone to this standard you know like we should be able to Mm -hmm. embody our own identities and it's just kind of like now with you having your daughter what do you see as a mother are like the things that we need to work on as a society Mm. I think uh, you brought up a good point when uh, you said that they said it was racist to like say somebody was black or mm-hmm. yeah yeah I feel like um that avoidance mm-hmm. is kind of what's holding us back because avoiding something does not mean that it doesn't exist I just think that a lot of us live in like a um this state of just avoiding everything and so I feel like once we're able to have these conversations and once we're able to meet those uncomfortable feelings and like go into them I feel like we'll like see a change yeah yeah exactly and I feel like this avoidance only perpetuates more ignorance and with ignorance just comes mm-hmm. like well anything that's destructive to be honest mm-hmm. and yeah like what do you think are the key factors that are important to kind of attain that anti-racist society. Like I said before, it's just really the internalizations because I feel like the systems, you know, systems are just systems or institutions are just buildings if you look at it. But um, I feel like the internalization of the institutions is what keeps them going. So it's the people that's upholding these beliefs. It's the people that are upholding the system because there would be no system if so many people didn't believe in it. Right. So I really, really do feel like it's the internal work um, and just um, just understanding that so much of like race in itself like the concept of race is very symbolic because even if we look at it like black people aren't 
black they're not black you know they're brown technically so I just feel like the whole black and white is just symbolic for just the polarities and just um being on opposite sides of the spectrum and like what we tend to do with opposites is kind of project onto them which I feel like is why um um so many you know white people or so many um I mean, I feel like everybody in the world is like, or a lot of people in the world, it's just not a black and white thing, but it's just like a global thing, uh, is anti-blackness. And so I I wonder why that is. And I feel like it's very easy to project on um, darker people or black people, like the things that you don't want to accept about yourself. And so even when I think about the N-word, um, like where it came from, like the roots of it and the origins, and what I um, understand from the word that is that it was meant to um, um, call someone lazy or like ignorant. And I'm thinking to myself, like, um, like weren't the the white people who created that word like were they talking about themselves? Like I feel like it was just True. a form of projection. <laughs> yeah. And so um, even on the opposite end with. Um, darker people and black people I feel like they project a lot of like their light or their goodness onto white people and um feeling like you have to look a certain way or feeling like your your uh, proximity to whiteness is what makes you beautiful or makes you acceptable or desirable and it's just like it's just projection and so um I think that for the more privileged people or the white people I feel like they have to accept like the things that they don't want to confront about themselves or their past or like their history and their ancestors instead of just like projecting all that anger onto black people and you know the opposite is just like um black people you know we know about our trauma but do we know about like our goodness and our desirability and our the um, the uh, ability to accept ourselves that has to come from within and not uh, feeling that you have to look a certain way or act a certain way or be a certain way to be accepted by the masses just know that it comes from within you know yeah. so yeah I just feel like it's this contrast and like a whole bunch of projection is going on so definitely and when you're touching on that kind of like just internalizing that idea of like black beauty um Mm -hmm. instead of because the thing is that a lot of us even though our history the history is so whitewashed we're all at least at the bare minimum aware of like black trauma within like the historical context of slavery and the civil rights movement and everything Mm -hmm. that's even going on today with like these conditioned microaggressions but that's been so ingrained within the system that we often neglect the beauty within like black history and culture and having Mm -hmm. little Mm -hmm. uh black representation within your field how did you find to internalize that within yourself and your identity I feel like it it was a journey, definitely, but um, I did see the beauty of myself when I read books, when I read literature. I remember one of my first authors that I first discovered 
who I felt spoke to me. Her name was Mildred D. Taylor, and she wrote a book called Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. And I just remember just being kind of transported into like another, um, I felt like another world, like another dimension. Just her writing was so beautiful. And then I discovered a sister soldier with the coldest winter ever and like Toni Morrison and Tony Cade Bambara and just Jay California Cooper, like all these writers who, what was most beautiful about them was not just like their skill um, to write, but also just like the ability to like transcribe their spirit and like their soul and just like their art and their beauty and the culture. And it just made me feel seen and it made me feel proud and it made me feel like, okay, I can do this too. So I do feel like the richness in history of black culture is not lost upon us well for me it wasn't lost upon me because I got to um I got to read these amazing authors got to listen to like these amazing artists like Stevie Wonder and you know music just been a big part of my life since I was a child so just hearing um you know the beauty and the music and just being surrounded by the art and surrounded by the culture it just really gave me this balance you know mm-hmm. it gave me like this beauty because you know we were taught about slavery and we were taught and we did like a lot of us did grow up in poverty but just to have um just to have this culture that existed around us it um it just made all the difference it just was like a source of inspiration and hope so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of the beauty that lies within that is that it transcends all these societal norms of wanting to silence the oppressed. And it just kind of shows that Mm -hmm. they were true in their own identity and they were able to voice their own opinions and their own culture and everything that they wanted to put out into the world despite everyone wanting them to remain silent. So on that note, um, yeah. what would be your message to anyone who feels lost and unheard right now? Mm. I just want um, everyone to know that, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what you've been through, like the trauma that you've gone through, um, it doesn't, uh, like no matter what you've been through, that you can always come home to yourself you can always come to your own rescue. You can always validate your own thoughts and emotions. Like you have that power. And I feel like it's just about reclaiming that power in the form of self-love. Because once you know of your own power, no one can use it against you. And, um, and once you know of your own power, you won't search outside yourself for it. You don't have that need or desire, you know? You find it within.